Again, good morning. Welcome to New Community. I'm so glad you're here. Before I jump in, a couple quick things. One, just wanted to thank a few people. Uh, John Eccleshaw and Bert Emerson helped come set up chairs this morning. And then, that's right. And then Dave Weathered and Christian Anderson getting the sound system. And it sounds amazing considering we're in a box. It sounds fabulous. No, I am very, very appreciative for everyone's uh, effort and help. Um, this is, for me at least, the perfect blending of two worlds. This is what some would call a thin space. Among the community of faith and on a soccer field at the exact same time. I don't know if it can get much better for me than that. So I'm excited to be here and excited to be uh, sharing this morning. I know many of you heard about the fire, and I'm going to give you a positive. One positive is the damage is not nearly as extensive as was first imagined. Yeah, which is amazing. The negative is also that the damage was not nearly as extensive as we first imagined. Um, it uh, is, I don't know how long the process will take, but I know that um, the way that things are set up uh, now, uh, I'm excited. I think this is a unique season for us, and there will be some things that hopefully this morning we will be reminded of, but all throughout uh, this season we will be reminded of as well. Um, in light of us being in this space and in light of us um, kind of walking through uh, the situation we did, we decided not to start the book of Revelation today. Yeah. Um, now, I know right now that was a muted reaction, but I know internally there was one of two primary thoughts. First, either sheer dismay because you thought to yourself, man, finally someone is going to talk about the book of Revelation, a book that Everyone wants to kind of ignore or not talk about, or they want to go the other way and talk about way too much. We want to kind of land somewhere in the middle on that. And um, so maybe you're dismayed because we're not getting there yet. Don't worry, we will get there. Others of you might be feeling in this moment just a considerable amount of relief. Like, oh, man, I'm so glad we don't have to get into that book right now. But we will be uh, actually getting into it at the start of the year. That's our hope. But what we're going to do right now before we get to Advent is take a six-week look at the first six chapters of the book of Acts. And uh, we felt like as we pushed off the letters to the church, it might be um, wise of us to spend a few weeks just looking at the very beginning of the church in Acts chapters 1 through 6. So... We're coming into Acts, and uh, I have two preconceived ideas or thoughts that I think are important to state right from the beginning before we get into the book. The first thought is this, that we believe that the book of Acts is still happening today. 100% believe that what was, there's really no difference between what is happening in our community now and what was happening in the first century church. That Everything we do in these moments is continuing to write the history of the church. And that has massive implications. That means that your actions and my actions actually matter. 
the things we do, the way we interact with others has profound importance. That means the way we as a community consider justice in our city, love our neighbor as ourself, figure out ways to be a community that acts in the city in very tangible, kingdom-oriented ways, that actually matters because we are continuing to write the book of Acts, and it is of utmost importance that we do it well. The second thing I think that keep in mind is that the church in Acts is in the midst of turmoil. There's complete chaos. It's almost as if, uh, very similar to us, we have come through a weird season that the whole world has been coming through, and then we kind of start to refigure out and recalibrate and rebalance, and then all of a sudden, we're thrown into another like discombobulated state where we're not meeting in the sanctuary and we have a couple weeks where we're trying to sort stuff out. And all of that doesn't feel like it would be a space that allows for thriving. And I think the early church probably felt similar. Like things are not set up to be the right kind of environment that would allow for thriving, that would allow for lives to be changed, people to be affected, allow for us to gain momentum and traction for the kingdom of God. And yet, somehow, in the midst of all of that, the church did just that. They gained momentum. They developed strength. They impacted more people. They had a deeper influence. Um, and that is my hope and prayer for us as we start the book. Um, if you have your little liturgy guide with you, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in reading our scripture passage for the day. Um, again, if you don't have one and would prefer a physical copy, uh, there's a few in the back and Joseph could bring those around. Otherwise, you can look off your phone. We're in Acts chapter 1 verses 2 through 5 and if you would just read with me, I'll start us off. He, Jesus, presented himself Amen. Now, this passage outlines what would be considered the first command to start the church. So, the church is just about to launch. It is the very beginning, the very center of it. And Jesus is still on the scene, and he commands all of the followers, all of the disciples, about 500 or so at the time. And he commands them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait and to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. It seems at least odd to me, perhaps not to you, that the first command where he's calling the church to be the change maker of the world and the agent of change, he says, before you do anything, do nothing. Just wait. Don't move. Don't start anything. Simply wait. And that seems like an odd first command. But the truth is, waiting is very central to our faith. If you look throughout the scriptures, it is 
chock full of examples of waiting. Abraham waited 75 when he was 75, he waited another 24 years before Isaac came along. Joseph kind of slogged through 13 years of betrayal, false imprisonment, uh, being abandoned before he came into a position of influence. Israel waited 400 years to get out from under the rule of Egypt during that same time, Moses waited for 40 years tending sheep before he was put in charge of leading the group out. And then, even while leading them out, they waited in the wilderness for another 40 years. Waiting is not just an incidental aspect of our faith. Waiting is part of the very DNA of faith. And it is something that is uh, incumbent on all of us, all of the time, we are experiencing waiting. If you think about your life, you're waiting for maybe an appointment with a doctor. You're waiting for test results. You're waiting for your test scores to come through or for the light to turn. You're waiting to graduate or you're waiting to start something. You're waiting for a job offer, waiting for a due date. Right? Waiting for a life partner that's perfect. You're waiting to hear from God. You're waiting for all kinds of things all the time. And we can imagine the list goes on and on because we're always in a perpetual state of waiting. You'll find this in your liturgy guide as well. Will Williman made this statement. Show me a person who's not waiting, not yearning, not leaning forward, standing on tiptoe for something better. And I will show you a person who's given up hope for anything better. Someone who has settled down too comfortably in present arrangements. And that's sad. The future belongs to those who wait. For those who know we are meant for something better. And it is into that season of the early church that Jesus says the command, wait for the Holy Spirit. And for me, the best way to understand this concept of waiting is uh, a bit like a trapeze artist. So, growing up, there was this thing, at least for me, called the circus. We don't circus so much anymore, but back in the day, there was these cool things called the circus. And you didn't know the circus was coming until it was already in your town. And then somehow people would get the word out, and then you would show up at this circus. And the circus, basically in the center, had this massive tent they called the Big Top. And uh, they had all kinds of activities that happened in there. But before you could get into that space, all around the Big Top, they had stationed um, really death, death traps, basically. These janky rusted out, like tilt-a-whirl, spin-till-you-vomit kind of things that probably barely passed inspection, and you know someone's going to get hurt on there, but they somehow were like, yeah, go for it anyway, and they charge you, and then you go around, and when you're done with that, you would go get cotton candy that would kind of make you sick to your stomach, and then you'd make your way into this big tent, and you'd find a seat, and the show was about to start. And the show always had, for some reason, women who would stand on horses and ride in circles while they juggled things. 
every time. I don't know why, but it was amazing. Then they would have tigers that were tamed, and those tigers would, like, stand on a ball and then jump through hoops, and then they would light one on fire at the very end, and then they would jump through that last one before all of a sudden elephants would come out. I kid you not, and these elephants would go around, and they would perform tricks, and they would get peanuts. They would do the tricks just for some peanuts, and this whole thing's going on, and I'm just sitting there as a little kid going, this is amazing. Like, I cannot believe it. But the thing that caught my attention the most was the trapeze artists. So in the center of the whole big top, they would have these small little platforms high up in the sky. And they would have these crazy people who would climb the pole and stand in a very tight, like, singlet uniform. And they would stand there ready to swing. And then someone would get on the other side and there was this moment where the music's building and you're feeling the emotions. And I'm, mind you, scared of heights. So I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I would get up there. Two, the platform, very, very small. Three, there's just the net below. And if it's as janky as the things outside, like I don't even know if that's going to catch you. And I'd be a little nervous. But anyhow, they're up there and they look confident. They're ready to go. And someone starts to just swing. They like totally jump off, holding on, and they go back and forth on this swing, and they're building momentum, and they're swinging higher and higher and faster and faster. And then on the other side, they would have a gentleman there who would start swinging slowly, but he's seated on the swing. And you're like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, he drops and just holds on to the swing with his knees, and he's swinging upside down. And I'm like, this is getting crazier, right? And then all of a sudden, the gentleman that's going fast lets go at what feels like a totally inappropriate time to let go, and then performs some trick in the air, but he lets go first, then he's just kind of suspended in midair, and it feels like kind of gravity has paused for a moment. And then suddenly, he reaches out, and the person on the other side has timed it, hopefully, perfect, catches them, and then the act continues. And it's this moment that I think, in a nutshell, describes waiting. Because waiting is really that letting go, it's that being suspended, and then it's reaching out. It's letting go, it's being suspended, and then reaching out. I want to take a moment to talk just about each of those. The first step really is letting go. Because waiting forces us to give up control. Waiting forces us to not be in control of the situation. And that is one of the hardest parts of waiting. Not being able to call the shot. Not being able to make the decision. Not having the final voice. Not knowing the timeline. All of it out of your control. And all of us know about waiting, because over the last 18 months, we've walked through a lot of waiting, right? Waiting for more information, waiting for a vaccine, waiting for life to resume. And now, I believe, in a unique way, our community is called into another season of waiting. Even several weeks ago, when uh, I was 
standing with the staff outside watching the flames shooting through the roof, I couldn't do anything. There was no control on my part. I just could stand there and wait. I couldn't control it, couldn't fix it, wanted to do something about it, but had no ability to control it. And that is part of what it means to let go. It's part of what it means to wait well. William Booth makes this statement, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The willingness to let go. To realize we're not in control. I want to ask you just a few questions, and these could be for small group discussion throughout the week. They could also be for personal reflection. Here's just a few. We'll post them online as well. What are you currently being asked to give up control of? If you had to evaluate your life in this moment, there's something you're probably gripping onto and wanting to hold on to it as best you can. But the truth is, the trapeze artist, if he just keeps holding on, never gets to the destination he's supposed to get to. You have to let go. But what is it right now that you're currently being asked by the Spirit to let go of? Is there a situation or even a person that you're seeking to control? Because sometimes it's a situation you want to fix, control, hold on to. Sometimes it's a person. You want to be able to control the decisions they make, the actions they take, the situation you're in. Last one, what are some steps that you must take to relinquish control and wait? What are some steps that you must take to relinquish control and wait? So once the trapeze artist has let go, there is that moment where they are suspended. They've surrendered. They're in the moment. They're in a state of kind of nothingness. As I said, gravity seems to be on pause for a moment. But there's no going back. They can't re-grab the bar that they were holding on to. And it's also not time yet to reach out for the person that's about to catch them. And so they're in this space of nothingness. And that space is best defined as waiting. They're in the space where they're completely waiting. And sometimes that space of nothingness is as equally difficult as the initial decision to let go. Right? Sometimes that in-between is just as difficult as letting go. And yet that is the moment where faith begins to take root. That is the moment where your faith, your trust, your confidence in God actually is tested, is in that moment. But I think that's also the moment when most people quit, is that space. If you look at Acts chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus gives the command, wait here for the Holy Spirit. He gives that command to 500 to about 520-ish people is the estimate. If you get to Acts 1.15, the text says this, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The company of persons was in all about 120. So what that means is that over 500 people were given a command to wait. And the text says maybe even just a few days. 
And somewhere between that command, where they maybe had to let go, and the suspension space before the truth becomes a reality and the Holy Spirit comes, the group goes from over 500 to 120. So somewhere, again, I'm not great at math, but somewhere in the 75 to 80% range of all people decide that's it's time to, to be out. I'm not going to hang here that long. I don't know what he said was coming, but I haven't seen it yet, so I'm out. And that is what makes waiting so challenging, right? Is because the majority of us in those moments are the moments that we bail. Also in your guide, another quote, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by ourselves bring about what we hope for. We wait in darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. So the waiting in that moment forces us to be. It doesn't force us to do or to put something into action as much as it forces us to pause and just be, be present, be faithful, exercise a patient hope. So here are a couple questions. How can you make the most of this season of waiting? And that could be corporately as we think about how do we make the most of this season as a church community in a state of kind of suspension. How do we make the most of a season of waiting? And then perhaps another question, what is God allowing you to learn about yourself or about God during this season? Anytime we're in a space where we're waiting, it is always a moment or an opportunity for us to be refined in a certain way and figure out a little bit more of who we are in light of who God is. But it's also a unique opportunity to figure out a little bit more about God, about his faithfulness, his commitment to us. Final, you have the letting go, you have the suspension of the trapeze artist, and then you have that moment where they reach out and they hope that the timing was right and that they could grab a hold and be connected to the other. And so there is that reach, where they reach for the other. And that reach requires a dependency, right? They, they actually don't get to control this part of it either. See, if the timing is off, they're in trouble. If the strength of the person that they're depending on isn't quite up to snuff, they're in trouble. If their grip is not firm enough, if there's some other thing that has gone wrong in the process, it is not good. It's trouble. But see, waiting forces a dependency. And in our case, that dependency is on God. Lamentations 3 25 to 27 says this, Good is the Lord to those who wait for Him. Good it is that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Good it is for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. What the text is getting at is that waiting reveals something about what it is we desire. And the question is, in the midst of the waiting, are we more captivated by the thing we're waiting for or are we more captivated by who we're waiting for? Are we becoming more dependent on God in that moment? Or are we becoming more 
desirous of the gift rather than the giver of the gift. And so the disciples are in this moment where they have to be dependent on the Father. They have to wait for the Spirit. Because if they go on their own, they're leaving before the Spirit comes. They're saying, I'm going to control my own destiny. I'm not going to be dependent on God. I'm simply going to be dependent on myself. And the thing that we are called to in this active season of waiting is to not be dependent on ourself, but more fully depend on God. And this is an important, important work. This waiting is an expression of our faith, this willingness to be open, to let go to suspend, to have faith, to reach out. In the midst of all of that, we become receptive to the movement of God, to God's action, to God's voice, and ultimately, I believe, to God's will. Let me finish with one passage and then a few more questions. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And that is our prayer, that God will act on behalf of us as we wait on him. Let me give you a couple last questions. What is God hoping you will remember about God during this season? What is God hoping you will remember about God during this season? Second one, God promises renewed strength to those who wait. Where do you currently need that strength? Because if there's an aspect of your life that you certainly need additional strength in, the scriptures tell us that God will renew that strength as we wait on him, as we depend on God. And then last question, who can support you in this season of waiting? See, our dependence is on God, but God also often communicates and works and moves through his body, which is the church, which means we are equally dependent on each other. So who can you ask to support you, or who can you support during this season of waiting? Let me end uh, with this benediction uh, before Kevin comes. New community, may we enter this season anticipating God. May we find God in the midst of our waiting. And may our waiting produce hope, strength, and joy. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.